the Bibles meet. John 3.16, it's on the bottom of In-N-Out Burger Cups. It's that, the most famous verse that's shown in uh, you know, sporting events, and it's probably the most memorized, quotable verse in the Bible. Some might say, well, yeah, because I know that, that's milk. Well, hang on. All the Bible is given by inspiration of God, and all of it is profitable. All of the Bible's milk, and all of the Bible is meat. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, you did, if you were in church as a young person, I wasn't. I got saved later on in life. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wasn't taken to church. In fact, when I remember the first, well, the second Bible college I went to, <laughs> um, they, they threw me into junior church, and I had to teach the story about um, David and Goliath, and I had to do a reenactment of it. I didn't know the story. That's how dumb I was when it came to the Bible. And the kids had to teach me because they'd heard it over and over and over again. The junior church kids were like, no, he had a sling. And, okay. and, he, and they were telling me who, who the characters were. And um, so all I'm saying is, all the Bible is milk. So that, for someone that's very familiar, they're like, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. I learned that in Sunday school as a little kid. But wait a second, all the Bible's meat. And so let's not take things for granted or that old saying, familiarity breeds neglect, because God could take a verse, he could take a phrase, because all the scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every word is profitable. He could take one thought that you've read over and over again, and he could upgrade it and change your life and change your perspective. Because the Bible is not just a written word, it's the living word. Look, all the Bible is God's character in print. Jesus is the word of God or God's character in person. So you have the written word and the living word, and he wants to reveal himself. So when we're in Daniel chapter 3, I want to read something that's probably familiar, but hopefully will shed some new light on this uh, section of scripture. So turn to the next slide. Daniel chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 3. As we work our way through the message, then we'll get to verses uh, 4 through 7. So Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Remember, just by way of brief context and brief background, because I've done the historical part of this extensively, but the nation of Israel was laid siege after three attempts by uh, Babylon and the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who finally penetrated uh, the forces of Israel, the fortified city of Jerusalem. And you got to remember, before this, Jerusalem and Israel was the superpower under King Solomon. They would have been like the equivalent to the United States or China, militarily-wise. They, they were, they were uh, undefeated. They, they enjoyed a successive reign as the Earth's superpower. So when, when Nebuchadnezzar was able to lay siege on Jerusalem and then take them captive, and then, by the way, go into the temple and take all of the golden uh, artifacts and furniture pieces and, and take them back to 
and present him to his gods as if like your God of Israel is not as powerful as my God. Look, I have all of your furniture that you did to your measly monotheistic God. I have many gods. In fact, their main God was Marduk in uh, Babylon. But um, so Nebuchadnezzar really starts the whole times of the Gentiles that Jesus says until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Well, what's the times of the Gentiles? Nebuchadnezzar is not a Jew. He's a Gentile, and he took over the superpower, Israel. And from that time, and then we remember, we went through Nebuchadnezzar's dream with the, the head of gold, the body of um, silver, the chest part, the arms, you know, the Medes and the Persians, and then the, the torso section of brass, and then iron mixed with clay at the bottom. So you have the Babylonian Empire. He was the head. And God said, okay, I'll grant you the authority to have uh, dominion and, and, and leadership over all the nations. It's kind of a revived Babel under Nimrod, but now a Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And um, so you have the, the, the Medes and the Persians. Then you have the, um, the Greece Empire under Alexander the Great. And then you have the legs and the ten toes, which we'll get into, of iron and clay, which their seed don't mingle. There's some hybrid activity going on there that we'll discuss later. But that's the reign of the Romans until the time where the stone that was uh, not cut with hands comes from heaven and smites the feet and hits the feet and the statue collapses which is a symbol of Jesus, is that rock, and the rock comes, um, and he destroys, and he ends the reign of, of the times of the Gentiles, which culminates with the Antichrist exalting himself in the throne of God, saying that he is God, and Jesus says, enough is enough. I'm going to come, and then the times of the Gentiles ends. Jesus takes the throne of David, reinstitutes the nation of Israel, gathers them himself from all four corners of the earth, and then rules and reign as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn this lesson. Old, old King Nebi gets a little big for his britches here in a little bit. And we're going to see kind of what's leading up to this pride. Absolute, cor absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And Nebuchadnezzar is not able to handle the delegated authority that God allowed him to have temporarily. So let's look in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, get this, gold, whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. We'll, we'll give those dimensions here in a minute. He set up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs of Nottingham. That's a little Robin Hood joke. When I, I don't know why I thought that when I saw a sheriff. Anyways, you kind of kind of have the feeling, as in heaven, so on earth. Remember where Paul's describing there's ranks, powers, principalities, rulers, and darkness. It's kind of this ranking system. Well, Nebuchadnezzar on earth, he gathers these ranks, you know, from the highest to the lowest sort of thing. And he gets them all together because he sets himself up as a, as a monarch, as a dictator, 
Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image uh, that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Go to the next slide. So this is an artist's rendition, but if you could kind of imagine all gold and in a desert sort of climate where it's not very cloudy, there's not very many gray days, like 360 days of sun, right? This thing is going to be reflective. Uh, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to just, it's going to stand out. 90 feet tall, and the width of it is 10 feet, so it's not very wide, which is kind of interesting. 10 feet wide, 90 feet tall, but 90 feet is pretty big, especially if you're considering the amount of gold that it would take to build this sort of um, idol, this image, this edifice. So Nebuchadnezzar is a direct foreshadow or archetype of the coming Antichrist beast one world system found in the book of Revelation. On the screen you'll see Revelation chapter 13 and verse 14. Let's kind of pick this up and kind of see that he's the forerunner even though this really happened in human history and we have all the accounts. This is not something that archaeologists would disagree with. There was a real king. His name was Babylon. There was a real empire. There was a real edifice. There was a real uh, uh, dictatorship going on. We all know this. But what, what has not happened yet is what he was foreshadowing and picturing at the end, the final times of the last part of, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which would be the end of the Gentile reign as empires, and so what we don't know is that. But here we have in Revelation 13, and those who were on the earth turned from the true way by him through the signs which was given power to do before the beast, giving orders to those who were on earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and came to life. That's kind of like a, a false resurrection, so to speak. This is yet to come in the future. And he had power to give breath to the image. Interesting. So whatever this image is, I don't know if you remember, it was a couple months ago where I showed you what AI was able to do um, through that, I think it was, it was a Danish or a Swiss architect that made those big, huge statues about 90 feet, 100 feet tall. Do you remember when I showed that picture? And then at night, you could, then they have stairs that's like 10 stories tall. You could go up and on a platform, do a lookout or have a dinner up there. But it's this big statue and... Artificial intelligence is, is operating its voice, and so it's set up, and it lights up at night, and it's portable. You could order one for your city, and they'll come and they'll erect one, and artificial intelligence could speak through your, uh, your statue that you have erected. Kind of interesting. I don't know if there's any connection. I just think back in the day of Babylon, he made a statue, and when the music played, you had to fall down and worship. Now we have statues that artificial intelligence speaks through, and people are amazed at it. In the end times, this beast is going to be somehow wounded almost to the point of death, but then brought back to life. And then whatever this image of this beast is, is giving the power, is giving the power of voice. And so he's able to communicate. And so the words that come out of the, uh, the beast so that it might have all those who did not give worship to the image of the beast were put to death. That's verse 15. How can I have two verse 15s? And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. Okay. So that the image of the beast 
might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed, to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of the forehead. And then at the end of that chapter, it says, he who has wisdom, let him understand what this is. The number of man or the beast is 666. But you kind of see the connection this image, this idol, this thing that kind of has this false sense of life because it's been given words and it's able to speak. But those people that were not worshiping this one world image that's, that's to kind of gather and curate everyone under the auspices of this one dominant religious system and figure, if you if you're an outlier, if you're not going to conform and go along with the worship of this, um, this image, then you're killed. It's the, same, it's the same connection and the same parallel as Nebuchadnezzar, whose heart is lifted up with pride. I will exalt myself. I will be like God. I am God. All the same sort of satanic, pri- proud undertones that you'd see in Nebuchadnezzar, that you'd see in Lucifer, that you see at the end times, that if you don't worship, you will be eliminated. Now, to get people to this point, it's going to take some deception. Look at the next passage in 2 Thessalonians. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not arrive until the rebellion comes and that man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of, uh, son of perdition, son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship. And as a result, he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. Surely you recall that I used to tell you these things while I was still with you. And so now you know what holds him back so that he will be revealed in his own time. For the hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. However, the one that holds him back will do so until he is taken out of the way. So there's a force greater than a satanic force that's going to cause a unification of all world government, all world military, all world economy, and all world religion. This one world utopian dream, or as they call it, the golden age, or uh, the age of Atlantis, or the age of Aquarius, it's the New Agers and occultists have had so many different names for this, this idealistic thing where we could basically be God on our own terms without the need of God. We will set up our own system and it's been working and working and working and working towards this end. But there's some force that's greater that's withholding this from happening. You want to know why demons just don't come and just slaughter you? and (laughs) They want to, but they have rules. Rules of engagement. You want to know why aliens don't just come and and like, disclosure, zap, 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 zap. Because they're demons and they have to abide by the same rules. That's why they're not out, that's why they're not out in the open fully disclosed. Because there's one greater. It's the Holy Spirit and he's withholding the forces of evil. And then it's my position that when the church is taken out of the way, which is indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit, then the man of sin shows up and he's like, hey, hey ladies like what you did with your hair. Peace, safety. (laughs) Like you would never be a good antichrist, Neil. (laughs) But once the restrainer, the, the, the force that's greater than the 
power of sin and lawlessness, once that restrainer, that withholder is removed, it causes a vacuum. In order to destroy nationalism, ethnocentrism, patriotism, and independent sovereignty for independent nations and states, to bring everyone under this one world beast system, there almost needs to be some sort of catastrophic or cataclysmic uh, event or some contrived managed crisis, right? Never let a good crisis go to waste. So it's almost like create the problem but have the already provided solution. Classic Hegelian philosophy or dialectic. So let's go through some of these. You guys on the slides, get ready. So yeah, could it be some sort of, let's just use the Bible's phrase, pestilence? We don't want to get canceled on the interweb, right? Could there be some sort of worldwide pestilence that unites everyone? Possibly. Go to the next one. Maybe, maybe the Green New Deal or ecological scares and saving the, the polar bears and, you know, the spotted owls and the earth at large and every, let's go electric or, you know, we're going to carbon tax you and, uh, you know, if you're going to keep that gasoline car and that weed eater and that blower and that, that mower and you're not going to go electric even though, you know, we all know about harvesting the materials for the batteries takes a lot of diesel and carbon to do so, but it doesn't matter, you know, maybe, maybe we could unify the world with some sort of scare tactic of we need to manage, we need to come together to manage the planet. And as a Christian, by the way, God has called us to be good stewards. He said, I've given you dominion over the animals. I don't think you should kill all the deer just because you could hunt. That's stupid, you know? No one says Christians need to be irresponsible and poor stewards, but God has given us uh, dominion over the earth. But a one-world dictator, he's got to convince the world, like Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to convince the world, like Nimrod, by the way. Hey, if we don't gather together, we're going to be scattered abroad. And if you're scattered abroad, we're, 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 def we're not defensible. And, you know, we, we just all need to come together, one language, one religion, and I got your back. You know, let's build this tower, and we'll become God, and we'll become gods ourselves. That spirit of Babylon has moved into Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, which moves right into the book of Revelation, which is called Mystery Babylon. It's the same spirit at work. Go to the next slide. Maybe it'll be some sort of uh, astronomical um, event, the threat of uh, like an earth-ending meteoroid. Don't look up. Maybe it'll come through nuclear war. I thought this was interesting. A couple days ago, I was looking at the news, and I'm like, oh, hey, babe, guess what? Satan 2's here. So Vladimir Putin, I don't know if you knew this, they've already tested it a year ago, so it's already fully testable and approved. Approved for use. <laughs> Satan 2 is 10 stories tall. Or no, four stories. Four stories tall. Satan 2 is the name of the intercontinental ballistic weapon of mass destruction. And I'm like, is this psychological warfare? It's real, and we know about it. But I was thinking, like, okay, where's Satan 1? You know? <laughs> is Satan 2 just a, is that, what, where's Satan 1? So Vladimir Putin calls this missile, I guess, Boris, 
Boris uh, Yeltsin, the former prime minister of England, said, why don't we just nuke um, Russia? He's saying in response to that, and he's not even prime minister anymore. It's, it's like, talk about rattling a major saber. Hey, let's bring out a weapon so... It's a 200 megaton nuclear bomb that they just, they activated, they activated just a couple days ago. He, Vladimir Putin says that he could sink all of the United Kingdom with Satan too. This, this bomb is so powerful, if it dropped over Texas, it would wipe the whole state out. Because what it does is it goes up. I watched all the deployment um, you know, phases. What goes up uh, out of the atmosphere, and then you know, the, the other parts that got it up there, the rocket and the fuel uh, gets away. Then there's a cone that goes over the warheads. But then the cone, it, it finds its target, and then it drops straight down. But then that deploys, I think it has 11 or 12 warheads inside of it. So it, it's, it's undefensible, really. So Satan too. Um, that's a real thing. You're like meteorite, nah. Aliens, demons, eh. Um, well, Satan too. I don't even know why he calls it that. It's just so bizarre. <laughs> um, maybe we need a common enemy like Vladimir Putin, just threatening world peace. You know. Um, there's this old one, the UFO thing that our United States government is spending billions of dollars in certain departments of the Defense, uh, Department of Defense, uh, National Intelligence uh, Agency, Central Intelligence Agency. All the agencies are all involved now, and taxpayers are spending billions of dollars on research into extraterrestrial life. Whistleblowers coming out and saying, we have um, we re reverse engineering. We have non-human intelligences, and they're not good. They're nefarious. We've lost human lives. This is what they said in front of Congress, by the way. And Congress is like, well, well they need accountability. Where, where the, you know, where, I, I'm not buying it for a second, but it is something that Ronald Reagan said it would, in front of the United Nations. He said it would take sort of an extraterrestrial threat upon the planet to, to all unite us. So maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the narrative. This one's kind of real. The next one. What about some sort of economic collapse that will destroy the dollar? You know, the dollar has been raining internationally. It's been the measure. It's been the standard for years and years and years. And different countries and different packs and different unions are trying to figure out ways to uh, dismantle the reign of the dollar. But, you know, could there be some sort of contrived economic collapse that will lead us into some sort of digital currency? You, you, you call the Fed? You know, since the advent of um, cryptocurrency and uh, blockchain technology, the, the, to digitize money, to track all of your money, much like how they do in China with the Social credit, scoring, social credit scoring system, everything's trackable and everything's deletable too. Remember when the people in Canada were trying to get their money? When they were protesting all the truckers, they're like, delete, delete. <laughs> if you don't have hard currency and it's all electronic, it could be added or subtracted with the press of a button. So maybe some economic collapse, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways 
that, that countries will say, we need a savior. We need someone to rescue us from whatever the contrived catastrophe may be or this managed coming crisis. What this reminds me of is Jesus in Matthew 24. Many people call it, we're living in the fig tree generation. Remember when the disciples said, when's, gonna, when's the end, Jesus? When's this all going to happen? And he says, well, you're going to hear of wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be famines and pestilences. And Jesus said, but the end is not yet. They're like, this is really good news, Neil. Thank you. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> well, let's kind of play this out. And the reason why I'm doing this is because Nebuchadnezzar was a one-world dictator. And the Bible says that there's going to come another one-world dictator. So go to the next slide. Many people are touting this whole coming technocracy. You're like, what is that? All right, glad you asked. Go to the next slide. So a technocracy is a government by technicians who are guided solely by the imperatives of their technology. You know, like, hey, I don't believe in God, I believe in science, so just show me the data. But these are non-elected uh, technocrats making decisions based on data and objective methodology instead of public opinions from their constituents. We kind of saw that in 2020, uh, you know, the tech giants being able to, they were called into Congress too. Have you, maybe you've seen Zuckerberg before Congress. How are, how are masses uh, inspired or influenced to vote in certain ways? And, and how are the algorithms working and all that kind of stuff? So technocrats are basically people that run mega um, big tech industries that are kind of above the law, non-elected, that decide policy for the masses if that makes any sense. This article I found from 1939 in the Technocrat magazine. Check this out. Next slide. Technocracy is the science of social engineering. Have you heard that phrase before? The scientific operation of the entire social mechanism to produce and distribute goods and services to the entire population. Don't worry, your government doesn't work. We got you. We got you. We have all the money. We have all the technology. In short, technocracy and transhumanism are both anti-human. Technocracy, channeled uh, by the United Nations Sustainable Development, believes that the Earth can only support one billion or so humans. Uh, this number comes up often. Furthermore, all humans are considered as mere resources on par with herd animals such as cattle, or you've heard this phrase, useless eaters. Transhumans believe that humanity 1.0, that's where we are right now, is as good as dead, and the only hope for the future of man, because they believe in evolution, is for transhumanism scientists to invent humanity 2.0. Go to the next slide. I think it's the next one. So this is, you're going to see this quite often. The United Nations, which after, the, after World War I, they tried to start the League of Nations. It didn't succeed. After World War II in 1948, they founded the United Nations, which is where the World Health Organization and all that kind of... We fund the United Nations more than any other nation, and it's unelected, and it's unvoted on. You, you just pay your taxes, and we'll pay for them, whatever they want to do. But you'll see sustainable development is the buzzword 
to push through these global agendas. There's groups that are in there that are so wealthy, they're non-connected to any governments, but they're so wealthy and they have voting power within the United Nations that would scare you. It would make you, it would make you cringe. But go to the next slide. So on the United Nations, I, I showed this slide about a year ago. This was a new statue. And as we go through the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, we're going to get to an image that he saw in another vision that resembles the beast. He saw four beasts. And this, this, is in, this is in the United Nations just recently. So anyone that's familiar with Bible prophecy and beast images should kind of be like, huh, a beast with wings. Interesting. And we th you think this stuff is science fiction? I'm not making this stuff up. Well, this is something interesting. Go to the next slide. You ever heard of the Georgia Guidestones? So someone recently, I, I think it was a year ago, uh, bombed them. And they've been vandalized quite often because some of it's like foreign script. But go to the next slide. I'll show you the sign that says it in English. The Georgia Guidestones, where they're satanic, kind of like... Um, they're, they're an occult erected edifice kind of to emulate the, what are the ones in, the famous ones in England? What's that? Yeah, it's kind of like a Stonehenge ripoff. But with most of the ancient megalithic cultures, they did things like this. But look at this. The first line at the top in English, maintain humanity under 500 million. What is there, 8 billion people? They want to reduce it down to 500 million. It sounds like the, the initiative of the United Nations, right? It sounds very similar. Perpetual balance with nature, guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity, unite humanity with a living new language. That sounds like revived Babylon to me. Georgia Guidestones. How did this end up in Georgia? The Bible built. That's not a very good southern accent, but <laughs> I do my best. Go to the next slide. So transhumanism, it's called Humanity 2.0. I'm not making this stuff up. People believe this. It's their religion. It's how can we circumvent the need for God and become gods ourselves using science and technology? You've heard of life extension. They're going to use technology to in a benevolent way, to get rid of cancer, to get rid of dementia, to get rid of any sort of genetic um, uh, um, defects. And they're, they're pretty much as close as, the, they're, they're close, they're close. I would say they're not as genetically advanced as they were before the flood, when they made chimeric creatures and they corrupted the plants and the animals and it was so bad, God said, wipe it out and start over but we're getting close to pre-flood genetic technology. When there was giants, remember that in the Bible? So go to the next slide. Also a part of this technocracy, of course, recently multiple big tech companies have released AI versions. And this guy is so sneaky up here on the screen. Not only did he found OpenAI, which is where ChatGPT3 and now ChatGPT4 comes from, that's his company. But now he, he's like, 
it's so he's playing good cop and bad cop. He's Jekyll and Hyde. Like AI is, here's what he said. What artificial, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. Artificial intelligence is going to threaten mankind so much, we need to put a six-month stay on all big tech companies to prevent any more artificial intelligence to permeate the culture. Remember when the tech giants banded together? And they're like, oops, we let one slip. Oops, sorry. And people are now getting artificial intelligence and using it for not so good. So there's some good benefits to it. And there's some not so good benefits to it. And he knows this, so he invented Neuralink, which is you cut out a piece in your skull, top where your, you know, where your, I forget where it's called in your brain, the, the frontal lobe, and then it's about the size of a quarter, and then they implant an implant called Neuralink, and now you could be connected to the Internet of Things. And they're already doing this, by the way. You think, that is, so, that is not, not on, Neil. Well, you just, yeah, they are. It's time to wake up and smell the sulfur. It's going on. This is going on. So he's saying, artificial intelligence is bad. It's a demon. Hey, everyone, but I've invented another company called Neuralink. You could keep up with artificial intelligence. So he says, artificial intelligence is bad. It's a demon, which he created, one of them. And then he creates Neuralink. So humans can coexist, because he's a transhumanist, so they could coexist in this humanity 2.0 and to be able to keep up with super intelligences, namely artificial intelligence, who could speak like sentient beings. So where does this lead us? Go to the next one. A lot like Revelation 18.2. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. Remember Jesus said, I'll come back. They're saying peace and safety. They'll be married and given in marriage and business as usual. And he says, nope. For your merchants and your great men of the earth, um, all be ended. In one hour, the Bible says. Not in this passage, but in the same zip code there. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. So think with me, in the context of Nebuchadnezzar, he's gathering all the leaders, all the heads of state. He had his own united nations. And he was the general assembly speaker and the, the leader, the CEO. And when Mystery Babylon comes online, one of the ways it's going to deceive the world is through her sorceries. Now, you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again. Go to, this, go to the next slide. The word sorcery in the Bible, in the Greek, is defined as pharmakeia. And incidentally, that medical sign is called the caduceus. And I know you're thinking Moses and the serpent, he held it up, and they, you know, that's part of it, but it also goes back to, to Greek gods and Greek mythology. It's called a caduceus or caduceus. But the Greek word for sorcery is pharmakeia, meaning the use or the administering of drugs, number two, poisoning, number three, sorcery, magical arts, often found a connection with idolatry, and fostered by it, 
for, metaphorically, the deceptions and seductions of idolatry. And you think about, like, I like Joe Rogan, but he really advocates for the use of psychedelics. And when people do psychedelics, like psilocybin or shrooms, dude, <laughs> drop in, drop out, all that, uh, LSD, mescaline, all these types of things, when, you know, a lot of times people have experiences where they're speaking to spiritual beings or they have encounters. I just think it's interesting that the pharmacaea will be used, big pharma will be in conjunction with the use of getting all of the nations together, deceiving all of the nations to where they have no other reason other than to say, yeah, you're right. What Nebuchadnezzar did back then, the beast is doing now. Here's my right hand. Here's my forehead. Because if you don't worship Nebuchadnezzar's 90-foot-tall statue, 10-foot-wide golden edifice in the middle of the desert, if you don't worship it, you die. And when, when Babylon is revived in the last days, it's going to use pharmacaea, sorcery, witchcraft, big pharma, to rally everyone again. Maybe it's going to be another sort of medical or health crisis. We all need to get together. We all need to do this and get all the nations together. You know, our, our economies can't sustain this. Let's everyone get a digital currency. Well, it's a good thing we injected you with technology that could keep track of all that. You know, whatever the, I don't know the sales pitch. I don't think the last thing that they did was it. Might, maybe a bit was a precursor. Maybe it was a beta test. Maybe it was a forerunner to it. But whatever it is, Jesus is withholding it. The Holy Spirit's withholding it. And then when he decides, okay, it's time. Seven years starts. Antichrist signs a treaty for seven years. In the middle of the seven years, the three and a half years, he breaks it. He causes the abomination of desolation to take place in the middle of God's temple. And he exalts himself that he is God. Just like Nebuchadnezzar. Where does that lead us now? Because I think we, we look back at like that artist rendition of Nebuchadnezzar and the statue. What's the next slide? Let me, let me introduce you to the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And that's the abbreviated version, the 4IR. Have you guys heard of that, the Fourth Industrial Revolution? Anyone? Some of you have. Some of you have not. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you if you hadn't known it. It's a bunch of rich elites, heads of state, heads of tech, heads of industry. We're talking not the billionaires, but the trillionaires and the billionaires can come to but these are the people that get together and they have so much money that the God complex is beyond, it's beyond comprehension. And so acting out of benevolence, they want to they wanna figure out how can we best serve the global economy and the global population? So the World Economic Forum has meetings in Davos, Switzerland, and they basically decide collectively, non-elected, by the way, non-elected, they don't represent people that they have to report to their constituents. They're, they're doing it autonomously. So, committed to improving the state of the world. Don't worry, we're benevolent. We got your back. We got your best interest in mind. Go to the next slide. So this guy, Klaus Schwab, he looks like 
one of the like evil villains from a James Bond movie. He, he needs like a monocle on one and a, like a hairless cat on his shoulder. But he said one of his famous state, statements from his book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, or The Great Reset, you will own nothing and be happy. And by the way, they have so much money that if they collapse the economy, these guys have so much. You think Bill Gates and like uh, uh, Elon Musk are the richest men on earth? No, they're not, that you know of. These guys have so much money, they could, they could, they could tank a country's economy and then give out people enough money to live on in a socialistic way, right? Not too rich, not too poor, but you'll just rent and you'll have all your basic needs. This is their version of utopia. Um, and we'll take care of it, but we need to reduce the population. Uh, and that could come in different ways. We could talk about that later. Um, reduce the population and then use their resources, which they'll never run out of anyways. It's not infinite, but they have trillions and trillions. They, someone was doing the research in the top, like the, the wealthy families that are off grid, their cumulative net worth is like 300 trillion. We, you don't even know how to count to a billion. And that's just one billion. Like no one knows, you know, you're just, we don't know what a trillion is. So we're talking beyond rich. These are earth movers. These are, these are country and king makers and ruiners that meet at this place. Go to the next slide. This is Agenda 2030, by the way. That, you'll see that a lot. They said the problem, Klaus Schwab, the problem that we have is not globalization. The problem is a lack of global governance. This is their mantra. We need global government. We need world government. It used to be called the New World Order. Now it's called the Great Reset. It's kind of they changed the verbiage, but it's the same message. Here's, my, here's why I'm ranting on this. Nebuchadnezzar said basically the same things, but in a different time with a different culture. And this will, this will, this will funnel a one world leader that we know from the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar was the archetype. Nimrod was an archetype. Hitler was a small sampling. It will be that sort of leader in the end who will control the economy, the religion, the military, and his one world constitution will have people worshiping him as did Nebuchadnezzar with the penalty of death if you fail to comply. It sounds like, like Mao, the communist dictator, Stalin, the communist dictator, um, Ceausescu, the communist dictator, you could go through all the communist dictators and you either, you either got along with the state system or you died. Millions have died at the hands of absolute power corrupting absolutely. So let me go, go to the next slide. So the fourth industrial revolution has this idea of the great reset. It's kind of a little pun on that. Go to the next slide. Here's, here's kind of the way, leave it on that slide for a second. So they go on to say, we stand on the brink of a technological revolution that will fundamentally alter the way we live, work, and relate to one another. In its scale, scope, and complexity, the transformation will be unlike anything humankind has experienced before. 
We do not uh, yet know just how it will unfold, but one thing is clear. The response to it must be integrated and comprehensive, involving all stakeholders of global polity or global governance. The first industrial revolution used water and steam power to mechanize production. The second revolution used electrical power to create mass production. The third used electronics and information technology to automate production. Now, the fourth industrial revolution is bundling or is building on the third, the digital revolution that has been occurring since the middle of the last century. It is characterized by a fusion of technologies that is blurring the lines between the physical, digital, and biological spheres. Humanity and the world will never be the same. You've heard of this guy, Ray Kurzweil? He's one of the tops in Google. Uh, he's the head of Alphabet and Google's artificial intelligence um, programs. He's also a head of DeepMind. Google, the biggest, uh, obviously, internet tech giant. Here's, he wrote a book and kind of, I put this in air quotes, prophesied of what the singularity will look like. These are guys that are in the know. He, he said this. He says that the singularity is when the convergence of technology will surpass humanity and bring us into a new techno world order or humanity 2.0. So artificial intelligence, genomics or gene editing, machine learning, robotics, the internet of things, augmented reality, quantum computing, nanotechnology, neurotechnology, blockchain or digital currency or cryptocurrency, when all of those technologies come together, the people that are left behind are humanity 1.0, useless. The people that go along with the singularity and the convergence of this great reset, this change of all of humankind, will be then induced into humanity 2.0, but not without some sort of altercations that you need to take upon your body in order to exist in this technocratic coming singularity. Now, I know this sounds all like techie and sci-fi, and it sounds like, nah, this just sounds stranger than fiction, right? Again, wake up and smell the sulfur. <laughs> These guys put their money where their mouth is. Let's connect it back to Nebuchadnezzar. So go to worship the image or die. Go to the next slide. Basically, the singularity is man's immortality without God. Next slide. This is interesting. I don't want to go through this, but it shows the evolution. This is their idea of what's going on. But if you look at the top, which is where they think that we're at here soon, it's human intelligence, but predominantly non-biological. It spreads throughout the entire universe. In other words, it takes over. And again, like, I feel like this is the demons that are behind the scenes. They're calling it technology, and they're calling it this, and they're calling it that. I'm just calling it for what the Bible says. There's powers, there's principalities, there's powers, there's rulers in darkness. And they're trying to deceive mankind to get them homogenized and synchronized so that they would then give their worship and adoration to the beast because ultimately he wants defiance against the Lamb of God and the God of the Lamb. He wants to say, no, I will be God. I will be worshipped as God. 
And if he could deceive people in the process, so be it. Look at Daniel chapter 3 and verse 4, and then we'll just wrap this up. Worship or die. In Daniel chapter 3 and verse 4, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, here's, here's your favorite instrument, Keith. Joe, yours too. Sackbutt, psaltery. I think a dulcimer is a drum, Mike. I'm not sure. And all kinds of music. So even those that have tambourines and cowbells are in there too. You fall down, and what if someone got up and said, you know what this false worship thing needs is more cowbell. That would be so funny. They worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and whoso falls not down and worships shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, and all the people and the nations, get this, all the people, all the nations, and all the languages. This is like, let's reverse the Tower of Babel when God, you know, uh, confused the languages and spread everyone out. He's like, no, God, we're going to bring everyone back together. We're going to unite our language, and we're going to worship one thing, and it's not you. It's absolute fist to heaven, middle finger to God, so to speak, and he is deceived by his own pomp and his own pride, just as Lucifer was. So unite all the languages that fell down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. This is like Nebuchadnezzar's great reset. <laughs> it's, his great, it's his fourth industrial revolution. It's his new world order. It's his novus de order seclorum, like it says on the dollar bill. Latin for new world order. But this is also my favorite dystopian plot for a movie. This is my favorite. These are my most favorite themes. There's a dictator. He gets everyone to conform through mass formation psychosis. If you comply, then you're able to live with little to no personal autonomy or individual soul liberty. If you do not conform, then you will face the penalty of death. So the whole system is fear-based, the very opposite of how the kingdom of God operates. Remember Jesus said, you're in my kingdom, you're my kids, all you need to do is believe, and here, here's the two guiding principles of the kingdom. Love God and love each other. It's a kingdom built on the commands of love, not on the mandates and dictates of fear and torment. Go to Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Remember when Peter and the apostles were told to shut up in the name of human government? They said, but Peter and the apostles answered and said, but we must obey God rather than man. There comes a time I pay my taxes, you render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, the things that are God that are God's. But when a government becomes evil and a dictatorship and individual soul liberties are lost, you realize that our Constitution says that we have inalienable rights, which meant our rights come from God, not from government. That's what that means. Our rights come from God, not government. God said to Adam and Eve, you have dominion. This is yours. You are my imagers. You are my image bearers. It wasn't granted to government. It was granted to God's people. 
And so Peter says, we'll obey, but not when you're, when you're telling us to contradict our faith in God. We go with God. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Could you imagine all the music plays, everyone falls down to worship because they're afraid, and it's just you and a few others that are standing up? Could you imagine what kind of courage you would have to have? Romans 8.15 puts it this way. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We didn't receive the spirit of fear. We received power and love and a sound mind. 1 John 4.17 puts it this way. And this our love is made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We're not afraid to face God. Not because we're good and we're awesome, but because he loves us and he... he He's given us, like we studied in Sunday school, these precious promises. What are these promises? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. No one will pluck you out of my hand. No one's greater than my Father. I and my Father are one. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Whoever believes in Jesus, the Bible says, shall never perish, but shall have everlasting life. So we're not afraid to go into a fiery furnace situation. Because the Bible says, fear not him who's able to kill the body and afterwards do nothing. He says, yea, fear him, rather, who could either take your body and soul and cast it into hell. Yeah, there's been many Christians that had to face persecution, but then what? God is, he's the God of eternity. All the, all the unseen realm could do and all the spirit of fear could do is to get you afraid of your temporal body, your temporary state. What he's saying is you ought to fear your eternal state. That's, you ought to consider that more than your temporary, consider your eternity. So he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He who fears has not been made mature or perfected in love. And I have this to say, what have we to really fear anyways? The one world Babylonian system is going to fail and it will be destroyed instantly. And it's taken the demons and their backgrounds and their, and all their evil, you know, they're inspiring like all the, you know, all the child trafficking and all the human sacrifices and all the Epstein Island and all the rich elite that have so much money that they feel like they could buy themselves out of every evil thing possible. They've been working and conniving and doing all their behind the scenes stuff and they're just evil. That's all coming to an end. And you know who they should have feared when they stand before God and he opens the books. That's who they should have feared, rather than like some momentarily lapse of pleasure. And the demons have been inspiring kings and governors and rulers and rich people and poor people to lead them away from God. But there's going to come a time where it all comes to an end. Revelation 14.8 is the last verse that we'll look at. And another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he or she also will drink of the wine of God's wrath. 
poured, full, poured out in full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whosoever receives the mark of its name. Yeah, you know what? To be honest, I'd be afraid of a fiery furnace. I'd be tempted to bow the knee. Just, I'm Tim Tebowing it, but in my heart, <laughs> I'm just doing the Tebow to this golden Nebuchadnezzar statue. Um, but there's going to come a time. Now look, when it gets this evil, where it's, you know, Mark and your again, there's a restrainer that's withholding all this. That restrainer is removed, and I believe that's, with it goes the church. With it also probably comes an explanation, like where did all the millions of people go? We need to solve this. That could also be another explanation to unite the world. Finally, we got rid of those, like, you know, <laughs> right-wing quack nut, QAnon, Bible-thumping lunatics. They're finally out of the way, you know, whatever they call Christians. Those old-fashioned, those moral police officers, you know. But when this happens, if, if anyone that's in this time takes the mark of the beast, here's my point. In, when Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't worship my image, you will die, the beast comes along and he says, if you don't worship my image, you die. But God says, if you do, you will spend all of eternity separated from me. The good news to that is, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took all of God's wrath, all of God's condemnation, all of God's separation, all of God's anger, all of God's punishment on himself. So for those that believe and receive Jesus as the free gift of eternal life, there's no more wrath, there's no more condemnation, there's no more any of that left for you because Jesus took it himself. But these guys in the tribulation period, they have a choice. They have not chosen Jesus. So now they have a choice. Do I go with this beast system that seems like pharmacaea has solved everything? I mean, if I do, if I do Humanity 2.0 and I just get a Neuralink or a chip or a whatever the sales pitch is, if I go with Big Pharma and I extend my life because, look, the, the beast is like, he kind of rose from the dead and he's half robot, half this, half that. If I just kind of maybe take his DNA and accept this system, then I could extend my life and then I won't die. Okay, that sounds good to me. You can see how practical people might talk themselves into an eternity in hell. That's how deceptive this thing is. And don't relegate this to science fiction and just some cool-sounding plot for a movie. This is, like, literally going to happen. It sounds weird to even say it like that, but it is. Maybe not exactly how I, I played it out, but you could, you know, you're smart enough to connect the dots. You could, you could kind of see what's going on. If not, just, you know, if none of this seems real to you, just go back to Satan too. That'll cheer you up. That's a real thing. He just pulled it out of the arsenal. <laughs> it's, a, it's a state and country destroyer, you know, like, like whatever. <laughs>